2: plan savings with three lines of t-mobile essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary
1: guidance is internal ignition sequence
3: starts five four three two one
1: zero all engine running liftoff we have a liftoff Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission
3: to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet
1: mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, the Permission Granted Podcast, the show about the show. Say it with me, the show within the Within the show. We always do this weekly to take you behind the curtain of the mothership, and you can always get this on its own podcast platform. Just search Permission Granted or the DA Show's podcast platform. So if you want to listen to the entire show on demand, that's full hours or the best of or the PGP, just search the DA Show on that podcast platform and listen to us there as well. And watch us every single day on the simulcast. That's available at WatchDA.com. That's mobile friendly, so watch us on your phone. Or you can watch us via Twitch as well using the CBS Sports Radio channel on Twitch. Today, the Tuesday show of The Mothership was quite the show. We had a lot of interesting topics and perhaps multiple 12DA candidates. We began with the Peter Schwartz saga. And I don't know about you, as my my wife has never met Peter, but she has heard us talk incessantly about him on the show. Now, I met my wife after Peter no longer worked with us. He was doing the two years of overnights with us. I met her Right after we left overnights and began with our evening show, 6 until 10. That was January 2015, which is when I met her. So she's never met Schwartz, but your wife has, right? Because Schwartz has come to a couple of block parties. <laughs>
3: he, yeah, and he's caught, he was at our wedding, let's not forget. Oh, wow.
1: Wow, yeah. that's true. He made your wedding.
3: Well, he was on the show. I wasn't going to leave one person out on the show. <laughs> when making the wedding invite list, so yeah, he made our wedding.
1: Huh. Wow, okay. In retrospect, how do you feel about Peter Schwartz having been at your wedding? Well,
3: I I can't regret anybody at my wedding because, frankly, they were all pieces of my life at any point or at that time, so I'm going to try to strategically answer this the right way. I think... You know, Pete was wonderful, and plus, look, anybody who's going to give me a solid opinion on the foods that got passed around at hors d'oeuvre or cocktail hour, I think that's fun. and I took Pete's opinion. Um, it should be noted, Pete also was very, very much allowing me to borrow... His wedding mailbox, he made this mailbox. It was decorated for a wedding where uh, you know everybody could put their cards. It was decorative. It was nice. The only condition I thought I was going to be able to bring this mailbox home and then return it at work, he took the mailbox home with him. So I basically had to carry the cards in my arm like it was a football that got handed to me. But, no, uh-huh. I thought it was great having him at the wedding.
1: <laughs> Please play, tell that story again where you borrowed Schwartz's mailbox for <laughs> the cards for yes. the night, and then how did he – how did he wrap that up?
3: So again, to describe this, we've all been to a wedding where you hand the card over, you know, the money, it's the typical, okay, you have gifts. Pete, for his wedding, had kept a basically a, a what would look like a mailbox that would sit outside your house, but it was decorated in white and like fake flowers and it you know, it had all the the wedding bells and whistles to it, and it was something that he kept because now in hindsight we know that Pete keeps everything. Nothing gets thrown out. Hmm. And he said, hey, would you like this? You know, it was a nice, you know, you put it behind your table. That's this way you keep all, like, your gifts and stuff organized. And the the venue had offered some kind of table whatever. I said, you know what, Pete, sure. That was a really nice offer by you. Let's do it. So we get it, and, and people are, you know, coming over. Hey, congrats on the wedding, putting their cards in there. Really, it worked out wonderfully. It, it was beautiful. And then the wedding was wrapping up. You know, with a half an hour left, Pete asked if I could empty all all the cards out of the mailbox so he could get that home. I didn't know what to say. So I began emptying all the cards out of the mailbox while my wife, all of one day, looked over and said, what are you you doing? I said, well, Pete wants the mailbox back. And she said, well, what are we going to do with the cards now? We planned on keeping the cards in there until we got home. And uh, sure enough, Pete ended up walking out of the wedding, holding it over his shoulder like it was like kind of like a child you would carry to the car. Mailbox made its way out, and I had a bunch of unorganized cards all over my table as mashed potatoes and steak au jus was everywhere.
1: Is inviting Schwartz to your wedding a little bit like naming Sean Alexander to the all-decade team? You're like, in the moment, it seemed right, but in retrospect, it kind of seems crazy. <laughs>
3: It, it's that's <laughs> a fair comp. Uh, me and my wife have actually played this game since there. You could we could probably make cut downs by about fifty people that were at our wedding that would never be invited today, and we have like fifty new people in our life that would be invited today. So it's not strictly a Sean Alexander Schwartz thing, but he does fall into that category. You know when you when you rattle off those lists of. Or you go to a guy's Wikipedia and go, when did he make the MLB All-Star team? What year was that? Like, that is what the wedding looks like in hindsight.
1: Do you ever struggle with whether we talk about Pete too much because it's such an inside joke?
3: I do, and then I don't. I do because I think only we care about it, but the feedback... I know I get and I know you get from listeners who just eat it up. And listeners that definitely joined the show after Pete was ever a part of it, on top of the listeners that have always been with us from day one of the overnights where they knew Pete was a part of it. So wh- every time I struggle, I look back and I realize the feedback we get is so positive because the stories build themselves with him that I actually don't have an issue with it. And I know I get, this is one I get crushed with. From my own family, they always feel bad. They like Pete. They think Pete's a genuine good guy. I said, but you guys are missing the joke with Pete. And that that's always it's always an internal fight with me with family members about how much Pete we talk. But I think with listeners, no, I don't struggle with it at all anymore.
1: Because Pete's not part of the show and now hasn't been part of the show in six years. So I wonder, like, oh, man, is it irrelevant? If he was part of the show, it's obviously relevant he's not even really working at CBS sports radio anymore. And so I'm like, boy, I just don't know if people find this as funny as we do because we know Pete so well, but then I'll see tweets about how insane people think that these stories are. And then like my wife will ask me, you know, so is, is Pete real about this? Like what's going on? And she's obviously drawn into the storyline And if people that are unfamiliar with Pete are drawn into this caricature of a human, then it works. Then it's captivating radio. Then it's interesting radio. And I still think it is. And I think it is because if you didn't know anything about Pete and we just told you these stories, how can you not be like, what kind of human being is this? And number two, because we are all having so much fun with it, it's obviously such a fun gag for us. I think that people want to hear us laugh about something that we really find funny, so it makes for good radio there. But I do sometimes go like, boy, I wonder if we care about this way more than anybody else cares about it. Well,
3: that's, that's probably we probably do, but I think the way we care about it makes others care by virtue. Maybe our listeners listeners PGP will let us know whether they do care about it or not. I hope they do. But I also think that this is a win for Pete, DA, too, because if we care about it this much and thus our listeners really want to be invested and be ahead of it, all this does is pad Pete's follower count and then inflates his ego to think people actually care about the stuff he's tweeting and doesn't realize they're there to make sure that they don't miss an episode of the story we're going to talk about on Meat on the Bone.
1: Yeah, and when Pete gets into it it with other media members, that's a media feud that people just generally usually like getting getting into media feuds are just interesting you know people like people fighting and media feuds are so dorky that they're kind of like funny on a very <laughs> you know it's a very light-hearted scale it's not real fighting it's like dorky media people fighting so i do think that that works but pete is just shoveling us content every single day i mean frankly like last year when the pandemic hit and people said, what are you going to talk about? I was motivated. I, I was energized. I'm like, this is what I've always dreamt of. How do I do a show about nothing that happened last night? Because nothing's happening. What would the show be? And it gave us this huge breadth, this huge width of, of ability to do whatever we wanted. And I honestly think if we needed to do four hours of just Pete, I think we could. I think it it might drag by hour two hour three, but I think for a full hour, maybe two, the four of us could have a lot of fun with Pete just by the content that he's shoveling us on a daily basis. It's almost too much to cover. Oh, I don't think
3: DA I absolutely know we could. And I think the real key there is it's the tweets within the tweets, right? Because there's only so much we could get to when we talk about the media feud. And as I mentioned, uh, just on this the newest tweet, that they, you know the TV timeout stuff, you could spend just a half an hour on. What the TV timeout was before you even get to the heartwarming support and all he's been through. And then I could do a half an hour on him using a heart emoji. That's one tweet. And you're talking about a guy who doesn't sit, sit down on his thumbs. You're talking about ten tweets a, sh- a day. Four of them, at least, are absurd. Do one tweet an hour and the tweets within the tweets? Well, there is not a doubt. I would, matter of fact, i would welcome it. It would be the show I look forward to the most. I think there's no doubt we could do four hours on it.
1: <laughs> Schwartz last night after this media beep that he got into with somebody this week because he wore a jersey to a game and this media person said, you're not a real journalist. Pete tweeted last night during the Islanders game, I'd like to take this TV timeout to address the situation. <laughs> then addressed how overwhelmed he was by the outpouring of support from people. That supported him in what he amounted to a character assassination. And it also should be
3: noted another another one of these sentences when you break down. The people that supported him both publicly and <laughs> privately. Like, hey, I know I've seen all you on Twitter, but I want to let you all, everybody else who texted me about this, I'm also going to, instead of already (laughs) thanking them via the text when they sent, you're going to let them know they're included on Twitter, too. It's ridiculous. And, yeah, there is a slight follow-up to this feud we could do right here on the PGP as well. This person that attacked his character for such (laughs) apparently has had a Facebook profile picture up with the underscoring tag, Let's Go Devils. (laughs) Oh. Man. Which Pete has now apparently shown on Twitter or responded to on Twitter because, again, media people, according to this person who went after Pete, shouldn't show <laughs> fandom. And this person did show fandom in <laughs> the devils. So now Pete feels like he's got one over on him.
1: <laughs> Another story which was funny was that you have now – it was the epic fail. You have now made some type of bond and connection with your Mr. Softy ice cream truck. And they're – What you suggested is that there are two ice cream trucks per neighborhood. One does just the good humor frozen bars. One does the soft serve and the full the full thing and that the soft serve truck hadn't been coming around consistently enough at the end of last summer, nor early this year. And you wanted to flag down this truck driver and let them know you need to spend more time in my neighborhood. The conversation went well. It was a female driver.
3: Yes, it was a female driver, and and just a little bit of a backstory, DA. I, this was a Trash Tuesday several weeks ago. I've been running into the same problem, and every day around ice cream man t- time, I've been trying to take my dog Eli for a walk, and I will walk to like there's like a main road splitting two neighborhoods where I have behind a shopping center. The other side of the neighborhood has been getting the attention of Mister Softy, so I've been trying to walk my dog in that neighborhood, hoping. I happen to catch the right block, right time, for Mr. Softy to stop them, order, of course, and then let them know you haven't been coming around my side of the neighborhood and finally, finally on Monday it happened for me. The perfect storm happened.
1: And you were saying that this is a very delicate situation because she bought this route. So yes. she she's the new owner of the Softy truck and she bought the route and I and I kind of was a little surprised to hear that you don't just you don't know, just buy a truck and just go like, okay, I want to go to this neighborhood, this neighborhood, and this neighborhood. You actually buy a specific neighborhood or route. And I kind of poo-pooed this and so did Bogish. Well, after the show, and we're only taping this show, you know, 10 minutes after the show, but tape of the PGP, my buddy Pens, who was a big listener to the show, texted me right after the program, right after the epic fail and said, just so you know, Moraz is right about New York City ice cream trucks, legit turf wars and weird gang stuff. And I said, really? And he sent me a profile done by the New York Times two summers ago. And the story is titled, A Renegade Muscles In on Mr. Softy's Turf. There's also another story he sent me from NewYorkEater.com. As summer begins, NYC soft serve turf war reignites. So this is a legit thing, and I apologize for doubting you on it.
3: Yeah, I, I'm I'm well aware of it, and I you know, again I don't want to point fingers and have the FBI looking into it, but my understanding it, this is one of those things, kind of like garbage, that there is some mafia involvement in, kind of like hey, Mister Softy, skim a little off the top, you pay it here, and we'll protect your route and make sure nobody else intrudes. And there's like le- it, it sounds like it's something out of a movie. But it does happen. So when when she tells me she's buying her route, there's no Mr. Softy corporate office telling her, hey, with this, you have this block to this block. It's you've bought the truck, and the person you buying the truck says, this is is your neighborhood. Basically, here's who we handle it with. That's why she said, I didn't buy the truck. I bought the route. That's always part of the deal. It it is a bloodbath business.
1: (laughs) This story in New York Eater goes, summer is barely back and so is the now infamous soft-serve brawl between longtime giant Mr. Softy and young disruptor New York ice cream. The fight between the, new, the two ice cream trucks is now several years deep and returns this year with theatrics like private investigators and violent intimidation tactics. Yep. Mr. Softy had hired private investigators to tail New York ice cream to make sure they don't use the brand's signature jingle or swirl-shaped mascot. New York ice cream has repeatedly responded with threats backed by metal pipes, the chief investigator of North American Investigations, the company that hired by Mr. Softy, tells the New York Post. Whoa. (laughs) You
3: You see that? And that's the thing, D. A. The jingle is very important. Maybe you didn't grow up in this area, or you know anybody listening and don't know. Mister Softy is a very distinct ice cream music jingle. Da 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 da. You know that whole thing, and a lot of new ice cream trucks or vendors. They kind of try to come in and do it. So you hear that music coming and you assume you're going to stop on Mr. Softy. Only the truck stops. It's clearly not Mr. Softy, but you're committed. You're going to get your cone, your shake or anything like that as well. And that's where a little bit of like the Long Island understanding is you can have your good humor or your ice cream bar only truck. And then you have your soft serve truck, which you know, sometimes is Mister Softy, sometimes it's a private owned entity. But you cannot double the soft serve or double the ice cream bars in any specific neighborhood. But New York City, it's more of a Mister Softy versus a knockoff Mister Softie. And you might both be allowed the same route, but you better not be, pre- pre- be pretending to be Mister Softy with the jingle and the logos and all that that comes with it. It is intense.
1: Trademark infringement.
3: Yes, exactly. Matter of fact, this happened to us. Uh, or the subway I worked at in West Babylon, DA, we we opened up in a plaza that on the other end of the plaza was separated by like a uh, pharmacy or whatnot, was a deli, like a sandwich shop, a re- you know, you get your breakfast, you get your lunch, that kind of deal, but it wasn't a corporate subway or Jersey Mike's or anything like that. And when we opened, a month later, they put up a sign, a new sign about everything they sell. And they say, we have subs. And they used the famous Subway arrow at the end of that S, the logo. And they changed it to green. Their whole makeup was red. It was green. And basically, they were trying to trick people into thinking they were Subway in the plaza, not Mm -hmm. us. And it became a big war. People got involved in corporate. Lawsuits happened. After about six months, the sign had to be taken down. So this happens all the time with food industries Mm. fighting should try to win over business.
1: Huh. Well, I had no idea, so now i got to keep an eye out for these turf wars, and now I'm going to have to remember that Mr. Softy and New York Ice Cream or whoever. Right, right. Whoever you want to give him.
3: Peter Schwartz a rough 24 hours, have him drive an ice cream truck in <laughs> somebody else's territory.
1: I will say that my cousin and my brother once drove the ice cream truck where in our hometown, but we don't have those type of turf wars because – you know, every town just has its own ice cream truck. It's not like you can go from town to town to town. So I'd be interested to get it. sounds like it's a much more cutthroat business in New York City. I think we should try to get on an ice cream truck driver. I don't know if the one that's new to the route would talk. Maybe you could ask somebody in your neighborhood if they oh. know an ice cream truck driver from a different neighborhood.
3: No, that this is slam dunk, DA. Uh, Eddie, our friend Eddie, has owned the West Babylon route. It's his own Eddie's ice cream. It's not Mr. Softy, but Mr. Softy is not allowed in his neighborhood. He would absolutely join. the huge soccer fan as well. Would I could get Eddie on in a heartbeat for us.
1: Okay. Let's get Eddie, the ice cream truck driver, on the show and really get into the weeds of the, of the rivalry between these ice cream trucks.
3: Okay. All right. I'll place a call to Eddie today. I have his cell phone number, so we, me and him go way back. We used to, I used to have to text if I was getting hungry to let him know, come by my, my block soon, and he'd have to cut over. So. I got a good relationship with Eddie.
1: Last week, you lamented New uh, Mother's Day, and we had Katie Linodal join us and say, hey, it's not a big deal. It's one day. You were really knocked for a loop, but Katie ended up hooking you up with that grilled cheese toaster. Have you gotten the grilled cheese toaster yet?
3: I have. I have uh, I have texted Katie. Very, thank you very much. Katie also made a point to write in the, uh, if you will, like the receipt card when it got shipped, Hey, honey, love you for Mother's Day. She wrote as if it was me. But by the time my wife received it, she had already heard the show on replay (laughs) and knew that Katie sent it. So I couldn't necessarily pull it off that it was from me, which made it very, very funny. Matter of fact, that is on tap to finally use for lunch today, DA. So I have not used it yet. That is planned lunch today.
1: So did you end up having a better Mother's Day than you assumed? Or was it as difficult as you thought it was going to be?
3: It was, well, yes and no. It was a good Mother's Day in that the people on Danielle's side of the family, her aunt, her mother, Danielle and whatnot, all really were in on the bit. I showed up and did not know they basically, oh, have Sean sit down. This has to be a stress-free mother's, and I was mocked the entire time. Up, mm-hmm. oh, go put him outside at this bar. We're going to give him a beer. Sean's got to have a relaxing Mother's Day. I spent basically four hours at a brunch being completely mocked the whole time, but it was in good, good-natured fun. My mom, uh, how should I say this? I had to grill up our Mother's Day dinner by the time I got around my mom, and it was everything with her is, oh, you sure you're going to be okay to do this? I know I don't mean that much to you on this Ooh. day, and, like, more of not having fun it, <laughs> more of, like, oh, she was nasty about it. And then by the end of the night, and this is what I'm talking about, Danielle, you have a good Mother's Day, and I got it by the end of it, I got... You know, not for nothing, you usually do way better with the cards for me. A lot more oh, sentimental wow. value or anything kind of. I felt like you mailed in the card decision. I said, are you kidding me? I said, this is exactly what I'm talking about in the show. I have to throw a perfect game, and I almost got there, and basically I give up a walk-off in the night. You got to hit me with that at 9 o'clock at night? And so, yeah, it was a fine Mother's Day, but I knew I'd screw something up, and apparently I messed up the card situation.
1: Well, and you also messed it up for your mom because she felt like you didn't really love her.
3: But then I made her filet mignon just the way she likes it. She was happy with it. She was happy with it. And I couldn't tell if Danielle was That's what's bothering me. I, Danielle, I think, was kidding. But now I don't know and it's in the back of my head. Mother's Day was an abomination by the end.
1: So rattling your your confidence.
3: Yes. Yes. Big time rattle of confidence. I don't know which end is up.
1: How does your mom like her filet mignon?
3: Uh, very medium rare. And from what I gather... Whenever my one sister, Sarah, or her boyfriend, Mike, apparently they're big filet mignon eaters over there. They like having it like once every two weeks, something hoity like that. Hoity-toity. Very hoity. Yeah, they always get a good deal. I guess my dad at the butcher, who knows, whatever. Uh, I, I rarely eat filet mignon with them if Danielle makes it great. So I, I got in charge of this, the grill, the seasoning, all of this. But apparently when they make it or she leaves my other sister in charge of it, as she says, they always come out like hockey pucks, and she didn't want that. <laughs> So when I stepped up and said, oh, you know, I'd grill, take care of it. It was, oh, you're sure? But, but then it was, you better make sure you pull this off. But I ended up, as she said, it melted in my mouth like butter. This was perfect. So I saved the day by the end of dinner. Turned out I had grilled perfectly. I think it seemed to get a very positive reaction.
1: Is it okay or healthy for your mom to be eating steak twice a every other week? Twice Look, a DA,
3: I think when you hit around 60, you just, for her, she's, She's also really thin. She's like 110 pounds. Yeah. I, if that's what she likes and she wants to do once every two weeks, a, you know, a buttery filet mignon, fine. <laughs> I mean, there have been nights, I, you know, we've had big dinners and I've seen her eat basically half a sandwich of some salad. So if that's a big thing she wants to eat once, I'm not going to argue. Have at mm-hmm. it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is the time of year where Bob's Bar is starting to really kick it up a notch. And I saw you post a picture on social media of a very nice granite top bar, outdoor bar, with an outdoor TV on the side of the house and a Budweiser tap. And I said, Whoa, I know that you were getting some renovations done to the house. I thought that maybe this was your new outdoor bar, but it was not. This is your friend's or your uncle's outdoor bar?
3: Danielle's uncle's bar. Yeah. We went to her aunt's for brunch and he had uh yeah, he built the bar a while back, but it's since upgraded after going to Bob's bar. He wanted to add taps and TVs and whatnot to it.
1: So the tap part is interesting because that means it has to have a kegerator underneath. It has to have a, a cooled keg that actually has. It's connected to a tap. So when you went there, was it an actual Budweiser keg underneath?
3: So it was. He has now a couple different handles where he he has Bud Light, Bud Heineken. Like he has a couple handles for depending on the keg he wants to get. And how he did it, I don't understand how he did it. He's he's very smart as an electrician and a handyman, and he flips houses and this, that, and the other. The kegerator is actually not underneath the bar, D.A. It goes underneath his patio and into his basement where oh. he has a cooling system for the keg, and the line oh. runs underneath the house up through into the bar and up through the tap. It's not even underneath the bar, which he took me down. It was incredible. He's got, he's got the keg down there. He's got a sauna down there.
1: It's, oh, wow. He's got a lot going on. Wow! That? So I was going to ask, did this up the ante for Bob? Because Bob's bar wants to be the cutting edge of all outdoor bars. Does. When he sees another bar intrude on the turf like a Mr. Softie wore and have a kegerator, have an actual tap, because I love Bob's bar. Bob's bar serves cans or bottles. Suddenly, does Bob want to up his own game?
3: So he definitely does, and he's been talking about this for a long time. But it should be noted, uh, we are about to close on our renovation loan on Thursday, as a matter of fact, for us. And that is where we'll break ground on all this stuff. And they're, and it's the same construction crew that built Bob's Bar, and they are building me a new Blob's Bar here. You know, I had built one that you saw that I, it was just my own crafty work that I'm going to move inside my house. At this bar, part of our blueprint plans, when I sat down with them, It is going to be kind of like an L and then like a a half hook on the end, like a bell. That is where I'm going to put a tap system as well. One or two, we'll see what we can come up with. He has the designs on it, the guy building the bar since he's built Bob's Bar and he's building this and he's going to put in the taps, my hope is that my father, who keeps talking about putting in the taps, will thus be pushed and influenced when he sees maybe his own son have an upgraded version of his bar, and then he wants to do the same. So he's not there yet. I think there's a little tinge of laziness when it comes to my dad, when it comes to that, a lot of, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, then you never get to it. I'm hoping that's what pushes him over the
1: top. It's a big undertaking, though, isn't it, for Bob to retrofit his existing Bob's Bar? He would have to put in some type of cooler or some type of system to put to keep the keg cold and then do some construction within the bar to put the tap in there
3: yeah but i I don't know it'd be a huge undertaking because the way his was designed he has big openings underneath each side of the bar where he never finished off shelving full shelving he was going to put in he kind of has shelving you could pull out all you have to do is pull out one of those shelvings, and it's already retrofitted to fit a small enough kegged fridge under it. The only thing that would have to be would be drilling up through the actual bar top to make sure the keg and everything gets perfectly fitted on that. Sure, it's a little bit of work, but it's not as big as an undertaking as you'd think based on the structure of the underneath of the bar already.
1: Okay, so it's interesting because Bob was has always been Go, go, go about Bob's bar. This will be the first time I've heard anybody suggest that he's been lazy about well, Bob's bar. Lazy's probably the
3: wrong. He's not lazy when it comes to it. But like, for instance, his big thing is is the entertainment around the bar. So he he's already his big thing. He wants to get done before the fall. He wanted it done by now. We bring out extra TVs during football season and the fall and all of that, and there's really only one actual permanent mounted TV. He wants to make sure we have a second permanent mounted TV, second cable box, all of that. So it is less of an, uh, you know, basically put stuff on a table underneath the bar and have those extra TVs. So, and then he wants to, he's equipped, he's trying to equip either Sonos, Bluetooth speakers, instead of just the... Uh, auxiliary speaker off to the side because he wants the surround sound to boom from the roof of the bar. These seem to be his next true plans while kind of putting off the idea of a tap. And his other excuse on not having a tap, it feels like a lot of the drinkers at his bar of late, namely my sisters and stuff, this seltzer craze that has taken over, those uh, aren't necessarily available in kegs. And he feels like, am I going to put in this keg and most of the people drinking here just keep drinking these damn seltzers? So yeah. he's thought about a lot. He's talked to a lot of people in the management team of Bob's Bar. And it seems like he's focused on the entertainment first. But I think he will get to the, I'm hoping he gets to the tap by next summer once he sees my bar complete.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this hypothetical Bob is, is hosting at Bob's Bar. You're a couple of blocks away. Maybe you're, you're at your house. You're doing something else on a Saturday. Bob has one of the D-Aliens come up to Bob's Bar and ask for a beer and sit down, complete stranger, but says, I listen to your son's show. I'm a huge fan. And I had driven all the way from, let's just say, Pittsburgh. I listened to them in Pittsburgh. I, was, I wanted to come to Bob's Bar for an afternoon to watch Yankee baseball. Your dad calls you and says, hey, Sean, one of your listeners is here, and you had not planned to be at Bob's Bar that day. Do you automatically have to go to Bob's Bar to spend time with one of our listeners?
3: Well, this is a hell of a hypothetical. To undertake this hypothetical, I'm going to now make the leap that somebody's such a big listener that they didn't give me any warning on Twitter or anything that they'd be heading to my parents' address at the (laughs) bar. Uh okay, all hypotheticals could say if that happened, yeah, I'm a man of the people. I would I would drop everything and head over, absolutely.
1: Okay. And how long do you think it's appropriate to stay?
3: They said they wanted to watch a Yankee game, right? So I stay yes. for the Yankee game. And if it's okay. going well, maybe we carry it over to, I mean, the baseball package is there. we got the MLB TV. Maybe we carried it over to a Dodger A game or something like that. Okay. But, but, no, I mean, if it's a Saturday 1 o'clock Yankee game and I get the call and I'm there by 2 o'clock, I think I'm obligated to stay through the end of the Yankee game till 4, 430. Absolutely.
1: If somebody had driven six hours from Pittsburgh to come see Bob's bar, even unannounced, yeah, I think you'd have to go. I think you have to be there. And I think your minimum requirement is two hours, maybe yeah. three.
3: I mean, and then I, I think I would leave by giving them recommendations of other things to see in the area. I mean, they did just <laughs> drive six hours to Pittsburgh. You shouldn't have to sit at a backyard bar the entire night. Now, doesn't mean you couldn't have a great night. There's always something going on at Bob's Bar on a Saturday night. But I think if I had to leave, I would feel obligated to give them other recommendations in the area. We've got great beaches nearby, stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, to, I think that's fair. You want to come for a Yankee and watch the Yankee, at Bob's Bar, I'll watch the Yankee
1: game with you. So what would you advise for the nighttime, you're leaving. You're like, hey, I got to get home. I had plans already with the wife. I've got to watch Taylor, what have you. And you leave one of our listeners and his buddy at Bob's Bar with your dad. What are you advising him to do? It's a good point.
3: You know, it's easy for me to say I'd advise him to do something. He clearly at this point has already gone through New York City. So we're assuming that you've taken care of New York City you know what? Maybe I whoop up and send him the Peter Schwartz's address since he loves going places unannounced, <laughs> and he could go through there like it's Antique Roadshow and pick out <laughs> what he wants to bring home. Maybe that's what I do. What about Mary Carol's? Yeah, Mary Carol's is going strong. They added a back beach bar. They just by putting down fake sand in a parking lot. I mean, I could send him the Fire Island. Maybe have a little fun, take a ferry over, enjoy some of the bars over there on the beach. That could be something I could do. That's not far from where I live. I mean, there are options. We've got plenty of seafood restaurants. The more and more they keep getting built, uh, maybe a little Smokin' Al's barbecue pit, something like that. I mean, there are places. You have a nice dinner. I'll get them set up.
1: Mary Carroll's is kind of the go-to town bar in your yeah, yeah. And it's one of those places.
3: If you didn't start the night there, you know you're ending there. It's the place open the latest.
1: Well, we're almost at that season, which is very exciting, which means we're almost at this bet, which is very exciting, which means we're going to have to finalize specifics of the bet coming up here. And that'll be straight ahead. And so remember, when we get to throw dodgeballs and dump chatter on Mraz's head, there will be video of that, probably live-streamed as well, for you to live in real time or to relive when it's done. So stay tuned for that coming up in a couple of weeks. Okay, well, that's Side A. You got Bogues coming up on Side B? Let's do it. All right, here we go.
3: How to do to do It's Side B of the PGP. How are you? It is Mraz, the host of Side B, the executive producer of the DA Show. Having a fun Tuesday. We're taping this on Tuesday. If You're listening on Wednesday, great. If you're listening on Thursday, great. Listening on Friday, awesome. Doesn't matter what day you listen, just as long as you listen, but honesty is the best policy. We are taping this on Tuesday, May the 11th, 2021, and Andrew the Bogeyman Bogus joins me now. Bogus, hello, how are you?
2: So we've graduated from singing to maybe like a, almost like a half rap, and now we're timestamping the PGP. I like it.
3: Yeah, I, look, again, you never know. You have fun with your PGP. You never know what you're going to get, so you just you, you well, go with and- your punches. And I figure out what I want and to do. And
2: side B should be easy because we we always trip up each other, like trying to like uh, like making time references as if it, as if people can't know when we're taping it. So then like yesterday, today, this morning, tomorrow, like all gets out of whack. This this is Tuesday. Follow along, knowing that this happened on Tuesday, and we'll all it'll be easier for me and Sean to talk about things.
3: Yeah, Absolutely. So let's start with the biggest story of the day, and that continues to be the ever evolving. Peter Schwartz saga, where we thought last week the Costco free samples tweet would be something where, okay, we had fun with it, we'll come revisit this again in a month, and here we are in a full-on media war between people that, frankly, are calling each other journalists, where I'd love to see (laughs) any form of true journalism People arguing over fandom, whereas I just revealed inside A of the PGP, this person that went after Peter Schwartz also had a Go Devil's emblem on his Facebook profile picture. So is he in a glass house situation? And now the let's take this TV timeout to thank everybody for the heartwarming pouring of emotion and support for all the troubled times that Pete's been through fighting this other media member and the attack on his character. bogish let me, I mean, where do we start? Let, let's start here. Do you do you consider Peter Schwartz a journalist?
2: Oh man, I mean that's that's a loaded question. I will <laughs> say this: you said on you said on the air on Monday that we're that we're not journalists. Now this conversation has come up more than once all over the place. I, I do believe that we are, and we're not journalists like New York Times, ABC News, like we're not journalists. But we're journalists in that this is our profession, and I think that there are, like, certain rules that at least I think that we need to follow. Like, I'll go back to the Tom Brady debate about jersey numbers, right? Like, we had that on the air. It was live. It happened. We went back and forth. And I wanted to know more about it to see what I was missing or not missing. So I tried to talk to people. I tried to find articles about it, which you mentioned on the air. Like, no one touched this. Almost as if they didn't want to be mean to Brady for being like, what the, you know, what is this guy talking about? Or... They just didn't care like we care. But for whatever reason, like, that was just not a story anywhere. There was nobody talking about this, basically, except us. So, like, when I tried to talk to people, they're like, ah, well, you know, like, they didn't even have a thought about it. But, like, that to me is where the journalism part comes in for what we do, is that, like, there there is research to be done. There is knowledge to actually have facts to know, like, everyone can have different opinions on things. You can think Brad Stevens should be fired— you know, I should I can think that he should keep his job, but like where the journalism part comes in is that like we're paying attention to the Celtics and we know what's going on with Boston. We know what their record is and we know what might be happening or what, what isn't happening. And like so like I do think that we live in the suburbs of journalism well, and and like in his defense, like Pete does try to do like Pete does do the job as much as we mock it. Like he does do the job in a quote unquote professional way.
3: Okay, so this is very interesting. I agree with you that we are in the suburbs of journalism. Our background is journalism, our degrees in many ways, or some offset of journalism, even if it's communications or what's not, or whatnot. And the digging that you mentioned in talking to people, which is ironic, I basically use my talking to people journalism aspect of talking to people to get background on Peter Schwartz tweets more than anything, which is just <laughs> a crazy butterfly effect of all of this. But, yes, we all have journalism suburbs. I just think our day-to-day job, while we might use the branches of journalism, our day-to-day job is not actually of a journalist. Now, to Pete's credit, he's not on a day-to-day talk show giving updates or have, you know banter and entertainment. His day-to-day job, I think, involves public address slash giving updates like you do slash he does write and cover fringe sports. My issue is when we call him a journalist, I feel like he uses the cover of a journalist really to get him access to things that, like, the juice of whatever his job is doesn't really warrant whatever he's doing to use his journalism stuff, which is why I find it troubling when people attack his quote-unquote journalistic integrity for wearing an Islander jersey. Well, that's his bit. I, I don't think anybody looked at him other than this other reporter saying this is a journalist and he's a fraud.
2: Yeah, see, I I don't think the Islander jersey picture that was called into question here, as as you said on the air, is the is the tweet to pick out and go, this is a journalist. Like, I think as silly as it might have been, like tweeting from an Islander practice that he was only at because he was quote unquote covering practice, but tweeting about, I wish there were people here to get the broken stick in the garbage can, like that to me when he's flirting with not being a journalist like that tweet should have never been written because it's also like passive aggressive to like more than one organizational body that there was not open practices anymore so like i just like that that one strangely bothered me i couldn't care like we're all fans of whoever i mean we know who everyone that listens knows who we all personally love and i don't go to a met game like in in hiding as a fan when I go to a Met game because I do this for a living. So I don't care about right. an Islander jersey. I care about him trying to get a broken stick from an Islander practice that he's only at because he has yes. a credential.
3: I agree with that. Okay, so that leads me to part number two of this, which it's just unbelievable. This is the content we have for PGP. This is why you need to download and subscribe to the PGP every single week. With that comes, obviously, the tweet that is now up to, like, 150 likes, several quote tweets. We mentioned our friend Gio tweeting, go get him, Pete, which is so clearly mocking people. Pete says, thanks, Gio. It almost scares me as a human being, and tell me if you feel the same way, Bogish, that Pete is getting this much run on this tweet and doesn't understand that people are mocking him slash making fun of him slash just laughing at the ridiculousness of it and that he interprets that as serious support serious hey all these people have my back here serious stuff can you imagine living in a world bogish where you might put something out on social media that to you is serious like you don't get as a joke that people are making fun of you about and then not understand that people are making fun of you about it and think that they really have your support like this to me is another layer of this d.a mentioned this inside hey, how much could we do on schwartz and one show And so we could do four hours this is the next layer of it that's so crazy How could he be so, I guess the word is tone deaf, to not understand that he's the butt of the joke here? Well, but I think the problem is
2: that all of these things are connected. Like, one leads to the other. Like, you and I are sitting here going, how does he not know? Because neither one of us would have written the tweet in the first place about during this TV timeout. But because he writes that and thinks it's necessary and thinks it's serious and thinks it's warranted, then he, of course, is going to misread geo or else's sarcastic reply to him so like it's trying to like we're trying to understand like a madman here like the dude like the dude thought he needed to address his fight with a reporter that i i I don't mean this dismissively because i'm basically in the same like that no one even knows exists like they like, like he's a stranger he's a complete alien the guy to anybody else who who to this guy who called out schwartz so like thinking people needed to know an update, feeling so strongly about it, thanking people for their support. Like, they're all intertwined here. Like, they're all inexplicable. So, trying to understand one part of it makes no sense because none of it makes any sense because the guy's crazy.
3: Yeah, I I guess that's fair. And I'll get off Pete now here for a second because it's actually hurting my brain to keep that... Wait, I gotta
2: say one more thing, though. I, I know that the meat of all of this is what comes after it. I still can't believe... That he began any tweet with, I want to use this TV timeout (laughs) in the Islander game. Like, nothing after that matters, really, because all of it is nonsense, because he's taking a TV timeout in an Islander game to tell us, because... He couldn't t- type and watch the Islander game. Or again, like he knew everyone wouldn't be paying attention during the Islander game. So all of Twitter was now free during this TV timeout to get this, to, to read Pegan this off his chest. Like I just, I, those, however many words that is, seven, eight, nine words. Like I can't believe those start any rational thought from a human being. Oh, and,
3: and, oh, I'm telling you, I actually have like a headache thinking about this. Here's, here's the next part of that, that, that start of that TV timeout thing. And that's – it kind of piggybacks off what I was just saying about, like, the self-consciousness. I firmly believe Pete wrote that because he knows that a lot of people follow him for his Islander stuff because that's seemingly what he tweets about the most. And I think he was cons- – It's A, it's self-serving. He wants to put it out there and remind everybody that, hey, I got picked on. So pl-. he wants more likes. He wants more people to say, what happened if they missed it? And he wants to be able to tell them. He wants more people to pat him on his back. So, like, that's part of oh, the yeah. – Part of the grand announcement when you say, let me take this time during a TV timeout. The other part of it is there is an element of self-consciousness that if he does this during an Islander game, because he knows, in his mind, the attention of people following him are always on during an Islander game because that's he's live-tweeting it, he's in, Islander Nation, the whole thing, right? So he feels like if he wants to make a grandstand, he has to be during an Islander game. His addressing of it being during a TV timeout, I think, is an element of self consciousness that he doesn't want then people calling him out saying, What do you, there's an Islander game on Pete, why are you worried about that? He wants to let them know, I'm worried about this, but only during commercials because the Islanders are so important (laughs) first. Like that, that's the whole layer of this.
2: uh, I might start. All of my tweets for the next twenty four hours with I wow. wanna take this TV timeout in the Iron game dot 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 and everything else just anything else comes after that, but that's just an oh, amazing sh- way to start a tweet.
3: That's a great idea. I think I'll do that during the Yankee game tonight. We should all do that. That's a great yeah. idea. We we should all play the game. I want to take this time during a TV timeout until <laughs> one of us gets called out by him. Yeah. That should be the plan. Oh, that's oh. a genius idea. All right, well, let me just end with this then because I can't not do this whole PGP without addressing the bathroom incident at D.A.'s house with one of his sister's friends' husbands that wanted to, quote, blow it up and find a different bathroom. (laughs) And thankfully, (laughs) D.A. literally lives in a candle workshop, so he had plenty of candles to take care of. My question to you, Bogish, would be, and I tried to dance around this, this guy seems like very disgusting, maybe got the wrong idea of D.A., I probably would have just laughed out loud when the guy said it to me and tried to help him out. Do you think that this guy has a bowel syndrome situation often from them to be that free about asking? Or do you think that DA's ribs and or salmon on that smoker that he breaks about <laughs> is a, a recipe for an oopsie? Uh, I can't. I can't
2: blame Da. That's a serious thing. As a fellow novice smoker of meats, uh, I would never point the finger at him. I don't even know. I feel like if Da was poisoning people, they'd be throwing up, not having a like a, a lower exit because that means it's going <laughs> all the way exit. through your system, <laughs> and that's taken that's taken right. hours. Right, and the if fans he was in the one hundred section. Fish, it would Exactly. It would never even get to their stomach to then come out that way. So I don't think this is to be to be blamed on D. And this is all on this guy. And maybe he has some kind of valid GI issue. But, dude, you got to have more cooth. I think that's the word when you're when when you announcing to a, somebody that you just met. Like, I wouldn't even say that to somebody who I've known my entire life. I would never go like to, to, like, my best friend in the world. Like, hey, Kev, uh, I got to blow up your bathroom. Where should I go? Like, I might be a little less diplomatic because he knows me, and I don't care if he makes fun of me after the fact. But, like, those are sentences and words I would never, ever use. And this guy did it to basically a stranger in the stranger's house.
3: It, it, it It's an unbelievable turn of events. And it really, let's face it, we had the Softy Turf Wars that DA and I talked about at the beginning. That was our epic fail on Tuesday. We had the Schwartz stuff in between. And what you had there, I mean, we've had DA complaining about car registries and, and, and plows What you had there was arguably the greatest, most entertaining D.A. trash Tuesday ever. And I I just, I had to address it here. And and really, I could do four hours on the guy asking D.A. to blow up his bathroom. So, I'm glad you entertained (laughs) And it was the
2: third most, the third most, uh, the third biggest topic on a Tuesday show was this guy in a bathroom yeah. at DA's house. Yeah,
3: it's unbelievable. Who needed Russell Westbrook's triple-double record, really? Who needed it on Tuesday? Uh, all right, Bogues. Well, a-, a wild start to the DA Show week. We'll wrap it here. We can follow you on Twitter.
2: At Andrew Bogish.
3: And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MrazCBS. Have a happily doodly new do week, everyone.